your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. As it today, uh, you all know, was the time change and people have lost an hour of sleep. There was a little bit of a, uh, I will just say joking about the length of the service today. As of course, many, many people are probably tired. Uh, although one person gave me permission in, to preach for an hour. So thank the Lord for that. Uh, but no, somebody, two hours, there we go. Let's just start taking bids. Uh, <laughs> but somebody threatened me and said that they would, if I get boring, then they're just going to start eating. So if I see somebody eating, then I'll, I'll know I have to step it up, maybe do cartwheels or something, end up in the hospital. Uh, no, I, I actually told the story to a couple people. My dad, he's been a pastor for several years, I don't even know, over 20 years. And, and one time we were in a church, a small church in Stu Bend, and I don't even know how long he went. I was pretty young at the time. And, um, but apparently this older lady in the back thought he was going too long. And what happened was she had a, a big ring of keys. And there were a ton of keys on there. So what she did was she just took the keys out of her purse. She held them up and she went like that. Just clank, 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 clank. So I haven't experienced that yet. So Dan, don't get any ideas. He's reaching for his pocket. <laughs> but I was, that was, I was like, wow, okay. So... Praise the Lord, I guess. But First John, First <laughs> John chapter three. Uh, last week we looked at uh, really just the traits, some of the traits of genuine believers, and and that's really a theme in the book of John, and uh, about just the fact that when we get saved, we possess a new nature. the The new nature that we possess will give us new desires, and that new desire includes a desire to please our heavenly Father. And before salvation, we don't have that. We don't want to please God. We don't care about God. We just want to please ourselves. But when we get saved, we have the desire to please God. We have the desire to be righteous even as Christ is righteous. And we saw that we have one of two natures. We have either the nature of Satan or you have the nature of God. You cannot have both. It is impossible. And we also looked at the fact that John here, uh, he, when he was talking about committing sin, he wasn't just talking about you know, committing one sin. He was talking about living a lifestyle of habitual sin. He was speaking of being lawless with a disregard for God. And obviously, we will sin, right? The Bible tells us right in 1 John that if we say we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. But uh, at times, the old nature will arise. But... If we're truly saved, we are not going to be able to stay in that sin and live happily. We're going to be miserable. And uh, we saw how we can have power over sin through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and thank God for that. Our salvation and the power that we have in Jesus Christ, it's huge. It's not powerless. Our salvation is not a powerless salvation. And just as Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave, because he did that, we can overcome sin in our lives if we just depend on him. So... Now we're going to go ahead and go to First uh, John chapter 3 and start with verse 11. We'll get down to 13 today. But look, look at it there. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I pray you help us to, to hear it and apply it to our lives. Each one of us in here, Lord, I pray that you'll just help us with that. Be with those that are sick. Be with those that are away and that are not, are not able to be here this morning. 
I pray that you'll just help us, Lord, though, to open up our hearts and minds to receive your word and that you'll just challenge us and change us. And if there's somebody here that has not accepted you as our personal Savior, I pray that you'll just make today the day of salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Just work in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. John, he often writes about three main topics in this book. And we've seen a lot about it. Uh, for one, he writes about obedience. He writes about truth. And he writes about love. Those are really the three main things that he talks about. And in this we understand, as we've seen many times, that obedience matters. We also understand that truth matters. And obviously, love matters. But a lot of people in so-called Christianity today, they will claim that love is all that matters. And I've heard that before. But, uh, you know, love will tell the truth, right? Love will encourage and, and push people to obedience. Love is not exclusive. It matters, but uh, so is obedience to Christ and truth. It all matters. We previously saw the, 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 the truth of God's great love in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And here we are, we're, we're embarking on this, this topic of love today, and, and love is a word that is well used today, isn't it? People say they, when they say they love something, I mean, people love everything, the way that people use it today. I mean, you might say that uh, you love coffee, and today that's probably especially true, right? Uh, or you may say that you love going on walks, or you love the springtime, or you love this, you love that. People love everything. And, and it's just, it's really an overused word that really is, I think it's losing value because, again, it's used for nearly everything. You have uh, children in schools that are dating, right? And they're 11, 12 years old. I used to see this. And uh, what happens, they tell each other that they love each other. And they don't even really understand what they're saying. Uh, they don't really love each other. They just love how that person makes them feel. So love is really dumbed down and not used properly, even early on. I heard a story about a young man one time that sent a love letter to his girlfriend, and it read this. He said, I'd climb the highest mountain, sail the widest ocean, cross the hottest desert just to see you. And then at the end, he put, P.S., I'll be over Saturday night as long as it doesn't rain. So that's a great definition of how love is perceived today. And we laugh at this, but this just shows us the shallowness of love in our day. And, uh, but the subject of love here has been brought up by John in this book before. Remember in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, he said, He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now, John, again, he addresses this issue of love, but this time he goes deeper into the subject. And what we're going to see today, it's not redundant, but it's, it's fresh, it's more in-depth. So uh, I have three points this morning, but I'm going to show mercy and probably just get through two. But, of course, this is heavy with Scripture because the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And, and I want to challenge each of us in this church to reflect on your love for the brethren. Because this is what it's talking about. Ask yourself, not anybody else, ask yourself this morning, how is my love for other believers? And this is important. I say this all the time, but we cannot think, well, so-and-so's love, they, they need help with this. No, we all need help with this. We all need to think about this on, on a personal level. How is my love? So over the next few weeks, and I don't even know how long, but we'll see. But over the next few weeks, we're just going to look at the truths of God's of, of love in regards to 
the believers, and what it means to love each other. What it, how do we act out our love for the brethren? So we're going to go ahead and get right into the first point, and we'll simply see first the command to love. Look at verse 11 again. The command to love. In verse 11 it says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In this verse, John is simply saying, Hey, from the start, we've heard that we should love one another. And when it says one another there, it is speaking specifically of believers. John is not talking about loving your wife or your husband or your children or your co-workers or your friends. And while all, I mean, it could certainly apply to that, that's not what he's talking about. He is specifically pointing out that we should have love for those that are in this room today. Okay? And other believers that are in Christ as well that don't go to this church. But John is mentioning that this truth, he says, this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning. And he said the same thing when he previously introduced this subject in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Just go back there if you would. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. He said the exact same thing. He said in verse 7 of chapter 2, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So in, in this he's, of course, again, talking about love. Now, why does he say uh, that loving one another is the same message that they heard from the beginning? Well, he is talking about the incarnation of Christ. He's saying, hey, Jesus Christ taught what I'm telling you right now. Jesus Christ said this from the very beginning, and it, it just amplifies the importance of what he says. In this verse, John is basically saying, hey, this isn't my idea. This isn't my statement. This comes straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't like it, then take it up with him. Let's go to John chapter 13. It tells us, it gives us the account of Jesus Christ saying this in John chapter 13. And of course, the writer of the book that we're in right now in 1 John, he also wrote the book of John. And look at chapter 13. Verse 34. It says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. We're going to revisit this passage uh, down the road because it goes right along with several things that we're going to look at. But we see here Jesus Christ he is the living word of God, and he says, hey, love one another as I have loved you. Now, ask yourself this question, how has Christ loved us? He loved us to the point of death. Now, I'll tell you this, this is a hard thing, and we'll see that, but in the Bible there's uh, four types of love, uh, and, and you got the eros love, which is a romantic love, you have the storage love, which is a, a family love. You have the phileo love, which is a friendship love. But the type of love that Jesus is talking about in John 13, and the type of love that John is speaking of in our text, is that agape love that I mentioned before. What kind of love is that? It is a concerned love. It is a love that acts out of concern. It is a love that does something real. It is a preferring love that is acted out. It is the, really the deepest love, and it is a selfless love. It's not just a love that is spoken, like those children I talked about in the beginning, where they're just saying words. It is a love that is acted out. It is a love that does something beneficial. So ask yourself this morning, church, do you act out your love 
for other believers in Christ in this church. Again, not just saying, oh, I love my fellow believers, but actually showing it. And we'll look later on at what exactly that means, but uh, you know, you can show your love to people by saying kind words or praying for them, uh, actually praying for them, uh, actually showing selfless love. I've mentioned this before, but you know, church, it is, it, some people, even Christians, they are hard to love, aren't they? They are. They're hard to love. But the thing is, is we don't have to care for certain people's ways. We don't have to care for their personalities. We don't have to care about their interests. We don't have to care about their conversation. But we are commanded to have a loving and selfless concern for them regardless. And to act out our love just as Christ did. Again, it can be hard, but it is so needed. But the Bible, thankfully, gives us examples on how uh, we can love one another. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Look at Acts chapter 4. We'll read a couple verses here. We'll look at uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We'll start there. In verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Listen, church, that's how we should be, of one heart and of one soul, unified. Continues on. Neither said any of them that ought the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And the great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, the book of Acts, it shows the church in its very purest form, and we all understand that the socialism <laughs> type thing that we see here did not pan out, but their heart was right. What they were looking to do was wonderful. It was a true definition of a concerned, selfless, agape love that must be present with all believers. In this passage, many Jerusalem Christians, they were like refugees, and they had responded to the gospel at Pentecost. Persecution was rampant, so they fled, and there were many people in need, and people rose up within the church to meet those needs, and because of their care and their concern, nobody lacked. Again, it's just a great example of the preferring Christ-like love that we are commanded to have towards other believers in Christ. First Peter gives us more insight on how we should love one another as it says in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. What does that mean? Be of one mind, be unified. Have compassion for each other. Love one another like siblings. Be friendly. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Don't look to fight offenses with another offense. Don't look to get revenge for wrongdoing. Be selfless. It also says in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Listen, we should have an earnest love for each other. Love covers a multitude of sins, and, and just as the love of God that is spoken of uh, in First John three one, just as His love has covered our multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of sin, how much more should our love towards the brethren cause us to forgive the transgressions of other people? Now, this is unfortunate, but today, even amongst 
believers love lacks. Uh, there are churches everywhere that has uh, just divisions and bitterness all through it. And, but really, to be a believer that has a lack of love for another believer is to be a believer at odds with God. And we're going to see, again, in the, couple, in the coming weeks, examples of acting on our love. But again, ask yourself this question. Do I love my fellow believers in this church as I should in a selfless way? I believe that each one of us could probably improve on this area because, again, it is a hard thing to do. To love as Christ loved, it is really hard. But if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you do have the capability to love as Christ loved. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad, which means it is distributed in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So if you are a new creature in Christ, you can love in a way that the lost cannot. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you've never experienced this love, so you have no idea about what I'm talking about. You cannot grasp it. But listen, if you're saved, you can love as Christ loved. This is a command, and it brings us to the second point. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Secondly, we see the case against hatred. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 12. We'll look at verse 12 and 13. The Bible says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Now, John tells us to love one another previously. He said, again, from the very beginning of Christ's ministry, he told us this. We are to love as Christ loved. He is our supreme example on how we are to love people. But then he tells us how not to love. He, he, he gives us the example of what love isn't. And we see in verse 12, he says uh, that it, as Cain, we should not be as Cain. And this is actually the, really the only direct reference to the Old Testament in this entire book. But he says we should, not love as, we should not love as Cain. Because he makes this argument against hatred by using Cain as an example. And we know that Cain killed his own brother. And we'll look at that in a moment here. But John... He goes so far to say that Cain was of that wicked one. And the Greek word for wicked one, it simply means Satan, of course. And Cain, he was of the devil. He belonged to Satan. And just as Jesus said of Satan in John 8.44, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. Cain, too, was of Satan and he was a murderer. And it wasn't that uh, Cain, by murdering his brother, became a child of the devil. The thing is, church, he was a child of the devil, so his actions were evil and murder was the result. That's why he did what he did. And Cain, though, remember, we have these Gnostic teachers in 1 John. Cain was a lot like these Gnostic teachers that John speaks out against in this book. Cain pretended to be of the Lord, but really he was of Satan. These Gnostic teachers, they were in the church. They pretended to be followers of Christ, but they didn't even really believe in uh, Jesus Christ. They tried to blend in and uh, try to pretend that they were something that they were not. Uh, they tried to pretend that they were true believers, just like Cain had done. But these false believers, they dwelt among real Christians. They attended worship with them. They were part of the assembly, but they were children of the devil. They were fake and so was Cain. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. All the way back to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll see this account. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. 
We'll read down to verse 10, but in verse 4 it says, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And said unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. What do we see in this passage? We see that Cain was exactly like these fake believers in 1 John, he pretended to be a follower of God. He even went so far to offer sacrifices to God. And now, uh, because they were in vain, uh, they were in vain because Cain did not offer the sacrifices God's, God's way. We understand here that Cain, he wanted to worship God his way. And he got rejected because he didn't want to do it God's way. But nonetheless, he pretended to be of God. And again, this is what these false teachers, these false believers in 1 John did. They falsely partook in worship. And once Cain, once he came face to face with the truth and face to face with reality, he had a choice to make. Either repent and change or continue to do things your way. And there you go. Sin lieth at the door. And we know that these Gnostic teachers of 1 John, they didn't repent. They continued to do things their way. Because, as John tells us, they went out from us, but they were not of us. But now here we see Cain, he was not of God, but he was of Satan. So what did he do? Did he repent? No. Instead, he lashed out and he killed Abel, and he made it very well known who his spiritual father was. And all out of this church, Cain's main issue was simply jealousy and envy. Or you could say selfishness. The opposite of what we are supposed to have as believers. These two things, that is just destructive. Jealousy and envy, it's destructive. They don't promote unity. They kill relationships and the effectiveness of the local church. And so often, we see jealousy even in the church. But it should never be like that because, again, it is the opposite of a selfless agape love. And I'm not saying we have this problem in this church, but I've seen before in many local churches soloists that are jealous of another soloist. <laughs> what? Or, or, or a deacon that is jealous of another deacon, which is why we only have one. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. Or even uh, pastors that are jealous of another pastor. Like, why? Or teachers, Sunday school teachers, jealous of another Sunday school teacher, look, what we should be doing, we should never be motivated by self-promotion, but instead promoting, promoting Christ. Because if we stay focused on promoting Christ, and we're not worried about promoting ourselves, we're not going to have that problem. You remember in 1 Corinthians when Paul addresses those that were foolishly comparing each other by who brought them to Christ? You remember that? Just crazy. What did he say? He said, for ye are yet carnal. He says, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. Listen, if you have jealousy or envy and you cause strife, you are carnal and you're not displaying love. As a church, we need to be united around Christ and not divided over things that don't even matter. And if we allow that to happen, we are uh, allowing the effectiveness of the local church to go down. We need to love as Christ loved. 
And John, he gives us a really strong case against hatred. And that is the truth that to hate another believer is to simply be like the world. And he makes that even clearer in the next verse. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 13. First John chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And there's a lot to get into with that verse, but John says, don't marvel if the world hates you. And I want to make sure that we really understand what this means, so we'll break down some words here. But the Greek word for marvel, it simply means to wonder at. And the, the word for if here, it is equivalent to that. So, meaning that that thing that he's talking about, it is certain. So, John is saying this, okay? In this verse, he's saying, Do not wonder, my brethren, when the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Now, John, of course, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was somebody that was with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And he's echoing another truth that came from Jesus Christ himself. So, hold your place in 1 John 3 and go to 1 John, or go to John chapter 15, but keep your place in 1 John 3 and go to John 15 and look at verse 17. John 15, start with verse 17. It says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Here again we see the command of Jesus Christ to love one another. But when he explains it, he says that the world will hate us as true believers and, and we can take heart in the fact that when this happens that they hated Jesus Christ first. But he explains, hey, we're not of the world and therefore the world is going to hate us. He warns of coming persecution and just as he would be persecuted and just as he would uh, have issues with people, so would the disciples and so will we. Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look, look again at verse 13 as it says, marvel not my brethren, if the world hate you. Now, it's worth noting that in this verse, John uses that word brethren. He doesn't often use this word. Uh, typically, he calls them little children, right? Because he is a spiritual father. But in this, I believe that we can identify the fact that the reason he is doing this is because John himself did face persecution. He was on the same level as these believers, as they would face persecution. The early church history tells us that John, he was actually condemned to death by being boiled in oil. But he was miraculously delivered. Now, history also shows us that 14 years uh, after the persecution of Nero, they, there was even more persecution and because of this, John was banished to the island of Patmos, where he would write the book of Revelation. So John, he faced persecution. Uh, he knew what it was like to be persecuted, and he warned these believers, and Jesus also warned believers, hey, you'll face persecution. Now, I say this often, but in our day, persecution looks much different than it did in John's day, doesn't it? But the world will hate true Christians as they hate Christ. They may not lash out like they would with uh, John or with Jesus Christ, but uh, they will hate 
true Christians. Why? So why would they hate him? Why should we not wonder about it? Well, this is the reason, church. Look, they're going to hate Christians because the gospel is offensive. It's offensive. There is an offense to the cross of Jesus Christ. The world hates Christ, and they will hate believers that share Christ. They will hate believers that live out their faith for Christ for the same reason that Cain hated Abel. Why did Cain hate Abel? Because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were not. Christ shows the world their sin and reveals their true nature and tells them to turn from it. And we know that God told Cain to turn from his way and go to God's way. But Cain hated Abel, again, because his works were evil and his brothers were good. So because of the cross, it points out our sin and it exposes uh, our sin and it demands repentance. Guess what? The world hates it. The world despises it. The world does not want to leave their sinful life. The world does not want to know or hear the gospel. They don't want to do things God's way. Again, just like Cain, he didn't want to do things God's way. But you know what? The world needs to hear the gospel. And I'll tell you this, they don't need to hear a hearer-friendly gospel. We need to give them the true gospel. I tell you what, I'm getting real sick of the purpose-driven gospel. I'm getting really sick of the prosperity gospel. And now there's apparently something called the poverty gospel. <laughs> I, look, none of that is the real gospel. But yet it's infiltrating the church. And it's a popular gospel. But the true gospel, church, it's not popular. Do you want to know what the real gospel is? The real gospel is the fact that you and I and our sin has put us at enmity with God. The real gospel is the fact that we are all lost from birth on our way to hell because we are sinful and we are wicked in our righteousness as filthy rags. There's no good in us. I don't deserve anything good. You don't deserve anything good. We deserve to suffer forever apart from God. And the true gospel, it makes it clear that we are evil. I mean, even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In our flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good in our flesh from birth. Because of our sinful condition, we are doomed for hell. There's no work. There's no deed. There's no act that we can do to get forgiveness from God. We're separated from God because we're sinners. God is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. And He cannot have part in sin. Therefore, God can't even look on you. Because you're so wretched. And I'm so wretched and we're evil. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And our sin, it brings death. That is part of the real gospel. That's part that nobody likes to hear. Everybody wants to hear Oh, Jesus this, Jesus that. Well, yeah, but what about God's holiness? What about the fact that, that you are not worthy? Man, we need, to, we need to tell people about the true gospel. Now, we know that Jesus Christ, he came to this earth and he died as a perfect and sinless sacrifice to reconcile us unto God, as Romans 6.23 also tells us, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So listen, if you trust in Christ, and you trust in Him alone for salvation and forgiveness. You can become a child of God. Jesus Christ, He is the only one who was righteous enough to bridge the gap between us and God. And if you would like salvation, you need to receive Christ as your personal Savior because He is the only way to heaven. Many people say, there are many roads to heaven. Nope, there's one. 
Every other road leads to hell. There's no other way to have a relationship with God and a home in heaven than by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's how you get saved. Now again, this is offensive because it shows us how terrible we are. But this is the true gospel. Now, at the same, on the same token, really, you think about this, okay? It is offensive, but really, it's wonderful. Because God, He loves us enough to save us. Even though we're wicked, even though we're evil, He loves us enough. It's just amazing. There, and we know there's nothing we can do to get to heaven, but we must trust in Christ alone for salvation. And the fact that we are in dire need of Jesus Christ to save us, it offends people. Especially in this self-sufficient world that looks to do everything on their own, in their pride and in their arrogance. When we preach Christ and the true gospel, the world will hate us. So, at times, if, if you're living out your faith and you're sharing the true gospel, the world will hate you. But, we shouldn't be hated for other reasons, like being obnoxious, right, or, or being jerks. We should, if we're going to be hated, let's be hated because we're, pre, we're teaching the truth, okay? We're teaching the truth of Christ. It should come upon the fact, our rejection should come simply because we're pointing people to the only way of salvation. So John tells us here in verse 13, hey, don't wonder when the world hates you. As you live out your faith and you share Christ, don't be surprised if they hate you. If you talk to somebody and you're giving the gospel, or when we go door to door in the spring, and you run into a Catholic that is relying on their sacraments and their and penance to get them to heaven, don't be surprised if they get upset. If you run into a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon that is, is trusting in some religious system that's based on works, don't be surprised if you give them the gospel and they get angry about it. If you run into somebody that believes that they're a good person and they think, oh, my good's going to outweigh my bad, don't be surprised when they get upset, it's, when you say, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. Don't be surprised if people hate the truth because they will. Marvel not. Don't be surprised. Now look, a major takeaway from this truth though, is that we should not only not wonder when the world hates us, but one thing that I think is interesting, and what I get, gather from this is the fact that we should wonder if a believer hates another believer. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. But you know, it should be a wonder and it should cause us to marvel if another believer hates another believer. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. It says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So John here, he goes so far to say, look, if we hate our brother, we're in darkness, we're not abiding in the light of Christ, and uh, look, we're not going to really get much into the final point at all, but the application today, church, is this. If we're saved, if we're born again, we will possess that new nature, and this new nature also includes having a love for the brethren. Being a Christian is much, much more than simply saying, I am a Christian. There are many people that claim to be saved, they claim to be Christians, but they are not. 
But remember, the book of 1 John, it is a book of tests. And these tests of knowing whether we are in the faith or not are simple. And the most recent test that we see here in regards to our faith is the test of love. Do you have love for the brethren? Now we're going to look at this more in depth uh, next week. But somebody that is characterized by hatred has never experienced the new birth. Again, part of that new nature is to have a Christ-like love for the brother. Now, can we all work on it? Of course. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We'll briefly look at this. Verse 14 of chapter 3 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now again, we're not going to look too deeply into this verse, but ask yourself this question. Have you passed from death to life? This passing, it speaks of being removed. Have you been removed from darkness and then placed into the light? How do we know that we have been? Because we have love for the brethren. We have a Christ-like love. If you have not passed from death to life, if you've never accepted Christ, then again, you are incapable of having a Christ-like love and displaying it with other people because you have not experienced yourself. So if that's you, then you need to come to know our loving God today and experience the love of Christ and repent from your sins and be saved. But if you have this new nature, praise the Lord. But as I said in the beginning, I believe each of us could do better at loving one another more. But do you have this preferring action-based love that we are commanded to have? Do you simply say, yes, I love my brother or sister in Christ, or do you show it? One writer put it this way, they said, Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, it ever stands with open hands, and while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. And look, we have received the great love of God, and what is God doing? He's always giving us things, isn't he? He's giving us mercy, he's giving us love, he's giving us forgiveness, he gave us his son. Look, let's give to others despite our feelings of whether or not they are worthy. We are not worthy of God's love. So let's, let's give love to other people in our church and other believers. Let's love one another and act it out and, and love one another and show it and be givers and, and just act it out to people in our church. Man, wouldn't it be awesome for this church to be known for its love between other believers? And again, I think our church is pretty good about that. I think that we have a great Christ-like love for each other. But again, we can always get better. Man, it would be awesome for our church to be known as a church that has love between believers in a world that's full of hate, even in churches, the testimony of love can make a huge impact on the lost. Jesus Christ himself said in John 13, 36, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love for one another. And man, didn't the disciples fail at that many times, right? Arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit with Christ on the throne. But look, if we have bitterness, anger, malice, or hatred, or just a lack of love, we are simply displaying the same attitude and sinful nature of Cain and the rest of the world. It does nothing for the cause of Christ. It just damages it. So look, if there is a believer that you are at odds with today, you need to get it right and show them a Christ-like love. If there is somebody that you're having a hard time with loving, again, since you have that spirit of Christ, you can display love to them and the Lord will help you love them as you should. 
So let's be a church that's loving each other, forgiving one another, preferring each other, caring for each other, and, and really just loving not in words, but in deeds. Because we have been given such a great love that we have not earned. Therefore, we can show our fellow believers a great love that they have not earned. We have that new nature. And that proof of this nature is that we love one another. And any inkling of hatred comes from Satan himself. It's not of God. So how is your love for other believers? Does your love reveal the new nature that you have in Christ? Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning.